You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Let's just get it out of the way. Today is our favorite subject in church, okay? Church, God, and money, all right? So let's just go, oh, woohoo! Everybody do that. Just woohoo! Yes, awesome. Oh, man, I'm excited about today. Um, I, I want to say this before we get into the message. Last week and through this week, I've been able to hear a lot of your stories, um, uh, emails and Facebook and texts and things like that. And, and, and thank you for letting me share the story of my family last week. And, uh, and I've gotten to hear your stories. And one of the things that, that really struck me, God just, this was a God idea, um, that we've launched a new email address called story at thecreekfw.com. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Send your stories in so we can celebrate and share those together. Uh, the best way, let me tell you the most fun way to do this. Take a selfie video and just give, give your testimony, share your story, and then just email it in. We will not put it on Facebook, and we will not share it without your permission. So even if it's just, look, I just want you, you want the pastors to know and the staff to know, we would love to celebrate with you, because on Mondays, what we do, we pray over every prayer request that comes in for the weekend, but it would also be wonderful to be able to share those stories among the staff, and if we get your permission, we'd love to share your story with the church, and we're, we're coming up with different creative avenues to share those, and so story at thecreekfw.com, so uh, send us, send us your, your stuff. Um, so yeah, um, faith and money today. If you got your Bible, go to Philippians chapter 4, and uh, I think uh, one of the reasons that this is a subject that is so touchy uh, in church is because we all have baggage associated with this. Um, if you didn't grow up in church, that's, that's, that's not always a bad thing. You're here now, and you don't have the baggage of seeing the money talks growing up, and, and uh, many of us have been guilted and, and felt a little bit manipulated out of money, and, and we've all had a bad taste in our mouth for that. When pastors talk about giving, that's when most people tune out. So the four of you that get this today, I think it's going to be revolutionary. Um, but uh, I want to do want to give some updates on our, our project that we have going on. Uh, we started 18 months ago, the One Church uh, Project as a church, and uh, it was about increasing the ministry capacity at the creek. And uh, so... I want to give you some, well, I'm going to show you two things. I'm going to show you some, some, some data, the, the numbers, and uh, let's hand, can I handle just a little bit of business at the beginning? Is that okay? Um, and so what I want to share with you is that 18 months ago, we had 185 families make pledges. And so over the three years, they pledged above their tithe and offering. So this was a sacrificial gift over three years. That pledge was $961,161.63. What has come in to date uh, from those pledges, so from those 185 families that have been giving sacrificially, $247,879.65. Here's the next number is pretty, pretty amazing to me because it shows the growth of our church, um, that we have people who 18 months ago didn't make a pledge but have been giving sacrificially to the project, and, and that was $347,008.18 for a total given to date of $594,887.83. Um, and that is incredible. Thank you for... 
Thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for your sacrifice. Um, the, um, the project, uh, total project for phase two is $2.5 million. And uh, one of the things that I was struck with last week is on Saturday night, I was out walking the space. And, 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 and what's beautiful about this project, I am not the one that has, has to manage this project, um, the nuts and bolts of it. So I can walk through the job site and I'm not going, oh, they missed this, they did this, they did this. I'm not just, I'm not, I'm not scrutinizing everything. I'm walking through just impacted by this. What we launched on faith a year and a half ago we're now starting to see sight. Because see how faith impacts our, our, our finances and how we manage our finances is we have to see it through faith before we can see it. And, and what I think is cool, our tech team put together some really cool um, slides. So a year and a half ago, I showed you a rendering that our architecture firm did. That's the picture on top. And what is on the bottom is the progress so far. And so you start to see, see on the top picture is what we launched in faith, and now we're starting to see that happen. And then the next picture is what I'm excited about is the lobby. So on the left is our, our rendering, and on the right is what's there now. Um, it's obviously going to undergo a lot of change, but uh, what I'm excited about is the space that we will have to connect people. Um, if, if, if you've, and I'm grateful you're at our 830 service. Thank you. I, you are my favorite. Okay, I know you're not supposed to have a favorite kid. You know, pastors say, if you have multiple services, you can't have a favorite service. You guys are my favorite um, because you're faithful and saying, I ain't messing with the 10 o'clock. And, and at the 10 o'clock and 1130, we actually are, are at crazy capacities. And the lobby is um, a little chaotic, we'll say. And so I'm excited about the new lobby space for us to connect. I do believe that, that just as much, if not more ministry, happens in the lobby than in this room. Um, that's because you're talking. This, this, feel, this is one way. Um, but in the lobby, it's two-way. It's connecting. It's, it's reaching out, and you're sharing your stories. And some of, the, some of my favorite moments of ministry in this facility have been in the lobby and because I see you engaging in it. The next one is the two-story on the back side of the, the building. And so you see on the left, that's what it will look like. And on the right, we have structure and some stairs. I can't wait to go climb those stairs. I got to do it when nobody's here, though, because they'll be like, you need a hard hat. <laughs> I got a hard head. Man, come on, it's okay. Um, but the steel looked heavy this week. So, um, And in that two-story, the second floor, we're going to leave unfinished. What we had talked about in the beginning was doing offices, but I, I'm, I really don't want to waste money on a square footage for an office. Um, it's a place for a desk and books to sit. Um, I, I, so we, 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 we pulled the idea of having offices on this, this campus. Uh, we may uh, look at finishing that out in the future of doing some medium and small size meeting rooms. So if you need to have a meeting, if you're leading a study, if you've got something going on, um, you don't have to kind of schedule and fight for the fishbowl. Um, if you've been to the journey class, you know the fishbowl on the side. Um, so we'll, we're thinking and praying about that. The first floor of that is going to increase our children's, youth, and adult space. Uh, the, right now, our preschool and in, in 10 and 11.30 services are at capacity. So this provides us the opportunity to double our preschool space, almost double our elementary space, 
It will give us a room for sixth through eighth grade ministry, so we'll be able to offer sixth through eighth grade um, every service that we have on, on the weekends. And then there's two adult classrooms going in. So we'll be able to run our journey track and we'll be able to run some other classes. And I've, the team's already talking about some classes that they wanna run in that. And so uh, that, that just provides a, a more of an opportunity for us to minister and disciple and, and grow and change lives. And so uh, thank you for being faithful with that. When we uh, were at the beginning of this project, I had a lot of people saying, you got to get this started. You got to go. You got to do this now. But I didn't have the peace from God. And when God gave the peace, that's when we started the project. When God gave his peace, because I would much rather follow his peace than everybody else's advice. And so I believe it's right. We're on track right now. Um, even with all of the rain we've had, we're still on track to open these spaces in October. And, and I'm excited about that. And then we're gonna address parking. So trust me, it's coming and it's coming. Growing churches are always going to be in these processes. And I hope that we're always in these processes because that means lives are being changed. That means we're reaching people and we're seeing families impacted. We didn't start this project to get more square footage. We started to impact more lives. When we keep the vision, the vision, and let God handle everything else, then we see what he wants to do. And so uh, thank, you for, thank you for walking through that. If you have any questions, you can email me, um, you know, uh, Adam at thecreekfw.com. No, I'm just kidding. Um, see any, oh, he's in there. Sorry, Alec at thecreekfw. No, you can email me, call me, grab me in the lobby. Um, I, would, I, I don't get excited about construction. I get, I get excited about God building people. And so um, I would love to talk to you about that. And uh, if there's more in... in you want to know. So there's a lot of, you're in Philippians 4. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back cabinets for you. Um, if you don't own one, then we want you to take that. That's our gift to you. But there's a lot of scriptures associated with how we deal with our money, how we handle our finances, and, and how that is all connected to our heart. And Jesus has a lot to say about it. Uh, throughout scripture, there's a lot about it because it is, it is something that's tied to our heart. And, and money is one of those things that's very tangible because we need it. Uh, we understand that it takes money to survive. We, we have jobs, we have bills, we have obligations, we have all of these things, and we understand the need for that. We don't live in an older society where we go out, we farm, we bring in our produce, and we barter. barter. We are on a monetary system, and so uh, we know we need it. God knows we need it. And God knows that, that what it takes to run our household, God understands that. But he has a lot to teach us about our money because our money is tied to our heart. Jesus says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Our heart will follow what we are setting our eyes on, what we are pursuing, what we have placed as a priority in our life, our heart is going to follow. And I wanna look at a scripture today that's probably a little bit different, a little different perspective on how um, faith impacts the way we handle our money. And, and to set this up, Philippians is a letter. So we look at books of the Bible, but in the New Testament, we have these letters called the epistles of Paul. And this is, is a letter that was penned to the church in Philippi. So the people who lived in Philippi were Philippians. The church in Philippi was a Philippian church. Therefore, we get the name Philippians. And so Paul writes a letter to this church, and this letter is thanking them for their support in his missionary journeys, thanking them for their support financially um, for everything that he has done for the gospel. And he, he is in prison as he writes this letter. Paul had a radical transformation 
a radical experience with Jesus. I believe when we really encounter the grace of God, um, what faith does is it radically transforms our life. Paul is one of those guys that was radically transformed by the gospel, by Jesus, and then uh, went through discipling and then became a, a church planter, launching churches, going to these towns, preaching the gospel. And when he would preach the gospel, the gospel tends to go against culture, still does today. And that would create some issues. And one of the times Paul is dealing with this, with the gospel, he gets arrested and one of, the, one of the Roman guards smacks him. He goes, would you smack a Roman citizen? And Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen. Paul, if you read some of his other letters, he says, I was a Jew of Jews. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He's also a Roman citizen. As a Roman citizen, he had the right to appeal to Caesar. So that's what Paul does. He's in, he, gets, he gets arrested, gets in jail. They start to throw a little smack down on him. And he goes, you can't smack a Roman citizen. And they go, we didn't know you're a Roman citizen. He goes, I appeal to Caesar. And so he appeals to Caesar. What's incredible is God gave Paul a promise. He said, you will preach the gospel in Rome. He didn't say how he was going to preach it. He said, you will preach the gospel in Rome. And what I love about it, God gives every one of us a promise. God's given you a promise. How, how firmly do you plant yourself in that promise? Because when you read through Paul's experience, you look at the end of the book of Acts where Paul goes through multiple shipwrecks on his way to Rome. And Paul had this peace and had this confidence that, that I know this storm in life, this shipwreck is not gonna kill me because God has promised, God has declared in my life that I will preach the gospel in Rome. When you go through stuff in your life, you need to hold on. You need to go back to the promises of God for you because there is no storm that will change the promise of God. God made this promise to Paul, you will speak in Rome even before these storms, even before any difficulties or trials in your life, God has already seen them through to the fulfillment of his promise. So Paul is now in prison in Rome. He's appealed to Caesar. He's in prison in Rome. He is chained to a Roman guard, and he is writing letters to the churches. He writes this letter to the church in Philippi. I think it's interesting that this sitting in prison is a book of joy. He uses the word rejoice over and over and over in this. But as he comes into the close of his letter, he starts to teach us a little bit about how faith impacts us, and we deal with our resources, especially money. He says this in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share with my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet 
every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Paul closes this letter by thanking them for the gift. He gets to the point. You ever been in a conversation with somebody and, and you, you wonder how long it's gonna take them to get to the ask? You, you know it's a setup when you first sit down with them. You're like, well, how you doing? Oh, well, you know, it's not going too well. The car's not running right. And, you know, this job's not good. And, you know, you're just waiting. Okay, how much is this gonna cost? You know, what's the ask here? What Paul's doing, he's closing the letter not with an ask. He's closing the letter saying, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful. I'm not, I didn't write to you out of need because I'm well supplied. And he's thanking them because he teaches them something that we, we, we have a benefit of learning. It's faith leads us to contentment, that he says, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. I've, I've learned to be content whether I have a lot or have a little whether I'm hungry or I'm well-fed, whether I'm clothed or naked, I have learned to be content. And, and let, let me just ask this. What's the stress level of you and your money? It's not do you have stress about your money. What is the stress level about you and your money? What is it about you and your finances? What's that stress level? Is that what you go to sleep thinking about? How do we make this happen? Is that what you get? Is that, is that the motivator for everything in your day? I gotta go make the money so we can make these things happen. And most of us run on such a high stress level with our finances that honestly, it's killing us. Jesus had something to say about it. He said that's, that's anxiety. And, and, and when Jesus talks about money and treasure and he gets into this, this idea of seeking the kingdom first in Matthew 6, the reality is he said, none of you by worrying will add a single hour to your life. The anxiety you have about the bills coming up Anxiety will not add another hour to the due date of that bill. Anxiety does not affect us in a positive way concerning our finances. And what Paul is saying is I've learned to be content. And the reality is we've got to look beyond a situation. Paul's not saying just I've learned to be content when I don't have it and when I have it because he's found his contentment in someone, not something. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me the strength. Who is him? It is Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What he's learned is that my contentment isn't about how much or how little stuff I have. Some of us think that contentment means when I don't have a lot, contentment means I think about the days when I did or I will have a lot. Or when I do have a lot, contentment is there are days when I didn't have a lot and so I need to be satisfied. Contentment, it's it's. It's more of a heart issue. Contentment isn't stepping out of the battle. What contentment is, is this deep well of abiding peace even in the middle of the battle. That regardless of the circumstances, abundance or need, well-fed, hungry, naked, clothed, regardless of the circumstances, contentment means we have an abiding peace in Christ who gives us the strength to do what he's called us to do, to stand on those promises, to trust in the promises of God. And, and, when, and contentment has to be learned. We, it's not something that just comes naturally. It's got to be learned, and we've got to, we've got, I mean, we teach our kids about this, like be happy, 
with what you've got. You know, how many of us are, they're starving kids in China. You know, I remember those dinners that look, let's box it up and send it. Because they may like Brussels sprouts, I don't. You'll sit at the table until you go to bed. I'll sit. I was hard-headed enough, I will wait you out. What's ironic is I had Brussels sprouts last night for dinner. As I get older, I'm like, these are good. <laughs> I ate dinner at 4.30 this week, one day. It's awesome. I'm getting old. Anyway, <laughs> I will grow old, just not grow up. But faith, uh, faith frames our perspective of God. Well, let me ask you this. What, what is your view of God? Do, do you view God as a taker? That he's after your stuff? Or do you view God as a giver? Because when, when I read God's promises, when I read the word of God, I see the ultimate truth is that God so loved us that he gave his only son, his most prized possession, so that we who believe in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. He wants to give us eternal life. He wants to give us abundant life now. And too many of us are not living that abundant life because we feel like God is a taker and he's after my stuff. The reality is God allows us to have everything we have. He owns it anyway. Isn't it amazing when we're praying for the job and we get the job, we're like, it's such a blessing, it's such a blessing. And then we get into that grind and we're like, this is awful, you know. The blessing has become a curse. Why'd you take the job? I need the money. How many of us are stuck in places, in prisons, we'll say, because of our financial needs? And, and our perspective of God has to change. See, we, we, uh, I think we've missed the point in church, and this is probably where we've created a lot of baggage, is that we, we, we try to teach the mechanics of generosity, the mechanics of obedience, and the mechanics of giving, the mechanics of faithfulness. But the mechanics mean nothing until there's a heart change, until faith transforms our heart, until faith opens our eyes to the reality of who our Father really is, that He's a generous, loving, giving God who has promises for our life, and those promises, his faithfulness is not dependent on our faithfulness. When faith opens our eyes to that, that's when the mechanics can be implemented. But none of this, none of the mechanics will ever mean anything until you and I can walk in the faith and trust Jesus and understand that he teaches us to be content regardless of circumstances because he who promised is faithful. And when we start to do that, when we let... When we let the Holy Spirit begin to transform our lives, see, see, it says in verse 13 that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Where does that power come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us when we, when we give our life to Christ. He moves in. He takes up residence. He is that strength at work within us that we are to feed the Spirit. When we're starting to be led more by the Spirit, what happens is our view of God comes into clear focus, and then we start to look at our resources about how to better use those and manage those and leverage those for the kingdom of God, that, that, that we engage with the needs of others, that faith leads us to be engagers, not, not people who sit back and go, well, I'll pray for you. It leads us to step in, and let, we, we have to understand something at the heart of the engagement of needs is, is the church, you and I, the church is not a building. If the church is ever a building, we've missed the point. 
You and I are the church. I said, when we give our life to Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You and I are the church. This facility is just a facility. But when we come in, then it's time for church because the church has entered the building. After service, when you leave, the church leaves the building. And we, when we understand that God has brought this church together, that, that when, when we're saved, we're set in a relationship with God. We're set in a family, that you and I belong to a family. We're a part of the body of Christ, which is called the church. And the church is not a plan of God to change the world. The church is the plan that God has given to change the world. That God chooses to work in me, in you, through me, through you, to change the world. And here's, a, here's, a, here's an eye-opening truth that, that the church in Texas, just the church, has the ability and resources to empty the foster care system in the state of Texas. Just the church. Just the church in the state of Texas has the resources financially, not the government, the church, to make a lasting, dramatic impact on poverty. Just the church. And we think, well, no, I don't have that. No, I may not have enough, but we do. When we, when, we, when we understand that we're in this together and we engage in these, Paul is thanking them. He said, I didn't write to you. I don't have a need, but I thank you for engaging in the needs of the mission. Because what's incredible, when he starts his letter, I'm sure there were people in the church in Philippi that were looking at Paul going, well, if Paul wasn't so radical, man, if he just, just tone it down about this Jesus thing. I mean, I love Jesus and I wanna go to heaven, but if Paul would just tone it down, he wouldn't be in prison. You know, they're probably, I don't know, this might be a bad parallel, but I'm gonna say it. It's like Braveheart, the end of Braveheart. They're going, mercy, William, mercy, William. You know, the people in the church, just mercy, Paul. You don't have to die in that jail. You don't have to be beheaded. You don't have to go through this. But Paul, in the opening of his letter, explains to them the whole purpose that he's in prison. In, in chapter one, verse 12, he, in 13, he says this. This is the opening. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the what? The whole imperial guard. That's Caesar's household. And to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. See, Paul's engaging in the needs of the gospel, the mission of the gospel. And, and can I go ahead and head something off at the past? Um, you don't have to email me. You don't have to put it on your comment card, on the connect card. You don't have to Facebook me, tweet me, anything like that. Um, I'm gonna cut this off because somebody will say, well, the gospel's free. The gospel costs Jesus his life, so it's not free. Um, and the reality is, the dollar, it's not about the dollar, but it takes a supply of the need to get the mission moving forward. See, when Paul got saved, he just didn't sit on the side of the road between uh, almost to Damascus and have a sign, a sandwich board for passersby going, repent or die, turn or burn. <laughs> Remember that? I don't know where that came from. It's funny though. 
Not really, but it is. Paul engaged in discipleship, and Paul went on these missionary journeys. Somebody had to fund those missionary journeys. Yes, Paul was a tent maker, but he didn't make enough as a tent maker to handle all of the travel. Those ships that Paul was shipwrecked on, someone had to pay the fare. And what Paul is saying is that, that when I was in the beginning of this gospel, you, Philippian church, you, Philippians, you supported me. You gave financially for, they didn't give to Paul. They gave to the mission of the gospel. When you give at the creek, you're not giving to the creek. You're giving to God by the means of the creek. And what, what I commit to you is that we will be faithful stewards because here's the reality. It's not your money that, that's getting put in the giving stations. It's God's money. And I will stand before God and give an account for every soul and every cent. And I take that very seriously because I do not want to be found unfaithful with anything God trusts me with. As a shepherd, he trusts me with a lot. And I do not want to be found unfaithful with that. When we launch the church, we trust God for the provision. That's why we don't put a plate or a bucket or a basket in front of your face every service. We have giving stations in the back. We believe that God is our provider. God is our provision. I don't believe that during a service we should have sermon number two about some, some compelling need or way you should give while you're getting time to write your check or fill out a credit card thing or dig around for cash or whatever it is. I believe God is our provider. And there are ministry needs, the gospel needs, and it's to see people saved and set free and set in relationship, set in a family, and set in motion. That motion does take funding. The church is a strange business. There is a business side to the church. We've got to run it as a business. And I believe the church should be an example for all the world on how to handle business. I don't just mean the creek, but I mean the church, me, the church, you, the church, we are the church. We should set an example for how business should be handled. I'm not saying go out and put a Christian fish on your business card. I'm saying let your character and your actions reflect that you belong to the family whose father is God Almighty. And we operate with his character. But church is a funny business. The church does, it does, it does require money. But it's never about the dollar. Our bottom line is about souls. Our bottom line is about people. Never a dollar. I shared with you some dollars earlier, but my favorite stat that we've, we have so far this year is from January 1 to date, we have had 161 decisions for Christ. That is the, that is praiseworthy. That is, that is the ultimate bottom line for me. Are we seeing the gospel change lives? Paul said, hey, I'm in prison. Don't worry for me. Thank you for your gift. I, I, I didn't have a need. It's a gift. And I'm gonna use that gift for the purpose of making sure everyone in Caesar's household know the gospel, know Jesus. Because when he closes his letter, he says, all the saints greet you. Verse 422, chapter 422. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. 
I've engaged in the needs of the gospel, and it is bearing fruit. This fruit, he says, I don't have need in verse 17, but I, I seek the fruit that is to your benefit. And what is this fruit? It, it, it's, that, it's, it's, the, it's the blessing, because faith leads us to a blessing. That we, we talk about you know, reaping and sowing, and, and you don't get the fruit without a seed. You don't get a return without an investment. You don't, so we've got to understand what Paul's saying is, I'm not seeking this gift. I, I'm, I'm seeking the fruit that increases to your credit. It's, it's, it's your righteousness. And, and, and we talk about giving and blessing, and some of us get a little, get a little uh, weird because we, 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 we hear the, we hear the, we hear sometimes that uh, if you give a hundred, God will give a thousand. You know, it's like you give a hundred and God's going to put a thousand in your account in heaven. But, uh, you know, it's like some ash, I don't know. But, but here's the reality. Yes, does God bless us financially for being obedient financially? I believe yes. Because he says what you sow is what you reap. But don't be seeking the investment of God. You know, it's the bank of God. You know, that's a, that's a win-win investment. You know, so I'm going to give you $100, God, and it's 30, 60, 90 fold. Yes and amen. I like that return. I mean, what's, what's, our, what's our normal investment rate? Anywhere from 4 to 7%. So yeah, 30% increase. <laughs> yeah. But don't just start seeking the, a, a dollar back for blessing. That, that, then you're seeking God for the wrong purpose. You're seeking him for his benefits, not for who he is. Uh, that, that's like, I like my dad because he gives me stuff, not because he loves me. But some of the blessings that Heather and I have realized in our life that, you know, is the ability to manage better what we have now. That blessing might be wisdom to really look at what we have and go, well, okay, okay, God, I see this differently. I see it through your eyes. There's, there's a better way to manage this. He's uncovering the gifts that's already in the house. There is a peace. When Heather and I first got married, we sat on the balcony of our apartment in the evenings, swatting roaches with a flip-flop. And I remember the conversation going, you know, honey, if we could just make this dollar amount combined, we'll be set. We'll be set. And we get there, and we're like, <laughs> um, if we could just make this dollar amount. But then we've gone through times where we're like, you know what? We have more peace. There was a whole lot less to manage, and it just seems so much easier then. But what we've learned is we trust God, and we're obedient with our resources, he may not bless us with an abundance of money, but he gives us an abundance of peace. Man, I, hey, would I like to have more money? Who wouldn't? I mean, let's just get honest. But I have a peace. You know, God's given us wisdom on how to better manage what we've got. But it comes back to a declaration of God, you are my source. When we first launched the church, Heather and I went for a, a while without a paycheck. And it started getting real serious to the point where I was like, I'm, I'm gonna have to go get a job. And I remember complaining to God. I was like, God, you, do, I know you see this. He's like, yeah, I've already seen a way through it. Are you gonna trust me? And he humbled me. I was out walking at Eagle Mountain State Park one morning and I'm complaining to God. God, <laughs> uh, hey, uh, 
that red line is coming quick. I mean, you know, I feel like the plane's doing this and the ground's coming quick. I, we need help. And, and God, it might as well have been the audible voice of God because it was so clear in my spirit when he said, who are you looking to be your provision? In the middle of that trail, I hit my knees and had to repent. Say, God, no matter what happens from this moment forward, my eyes are focused on you as my provider. And I'd like to tell you, hey, that afternoon a check showed up in the mail. No, it didn't. It didn't. But what God did is gave us an overwhelming peace knowing that we were walking in the purpose, the mission, and the promise that he had put before our life. And he gave us wisdom how to manage. Because look, I... I understand what it's like to go, hey, I'd really like to put groceries on the table for my family this week. And he gave us wisdom. And then a change started happening. So the blessing wasn't dollar for dollar. The blessing was peace. So let me ask you, do you, do you really trust God? Because our, our money is a, is a real, and, and there's no big ask coming in this, okay? So just let, let, let that air out. Be like, oh, man, I there is no big ask in this. Maybe the big ask is this. Do you really trust God? Because he trusts you. Do you really see that everything you have is from him? And that he is a good, giving God and wants his kids to reflect that character? Because he gave it all on the cross. He gave it all for you and I so that that faith could impact every area of our life, even our stewardship. Let me pray for us. God, we, we love you and we thank you for the truth of your word. And um, we thank you because you knew that we would all struggle in our hearts with ties to money. And, and financial things. And so, God, I, I'm asking you to bring us freedom. That, that as we looked at, at your servant, Paul, who is in prison for the gospel, there's many in this room who, are, who have put themselves in a prison because of their anxiety and because of financial issues. And I am just asking you to bring freedom this morning. I'm asking you to bring wisdom. I'm asking you to bring peace and contentment. God, I'm asking you to give us the courage to trust you with everything we have. God, we declare by faith that all things come from you and you trust us with it. And so all we have and all we are, we honor you with it. It's all yours for the glory of your great name. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at